gates open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. The recent retirements of champion country jockeys Greg Ryan and Robert Thompson will present new opportunities for a rider like Andrew Gibbons. In fact, it's fair to say that Andrew's career has followed a similar path to those of Thompson and Ryan, who won 8,500 races between them. All three had opportunities to ride for Sydney stables but chose a rural lifestyle. Andrew was born in Maitland and still lives on the fringe of that Hunter Valley city. He was originally apprenticed to Noel Mayfield Smith when the trainer was based in Newcastle. He spent the latter part of his apprenticeship with Brian Guy at Rose Hill, but when that trainer moved to the Gold Coast, Andrew couldn't get back to the Hunter Valley quickly enough, and he's never looked like leaving. Three seasons ago, He rode 137 winners, finishing second in the state and fifth on the national premiership ladder. The following season, 124. He was second in the state. Last season, a creditable 79. He missed the first three months of this current season, recovering from injuries sustained in a fall in July and only recently resumed. Andrew is also the proud dad of talented apprentice Dylan Gibbons, who rode 86 winners in his first season of race riding and looks set for a very bright future. Let's welcome Andrew Gibbons to the podcast on a Sunday morning. Gibbo, good to have you on board. Cheers, Happy. Thanks, mate. Well, mate, that fall that puts you out of business for a few months was a bizarre one. You're riding Noble Flame for Chris Lees in a maiden at Newcastle. You're minding your own business sitting outside the leader, my Belladonna, coming around the first turn, and all hell broke loose. Yeah, it was. You're spot on there. It was a strange one. You probably think that's the safest spot you can be is leading or outside the leader, but uh, unfortunately, my Belladonna just had uh, other plans and and it looked like the horse sort of spotted something on the inside of the track, but there there was nothing there to spot, and done a sharp left-hand turn, unfortunately, under my horse's neck, and I clipped a heel and didn't completely fall, but blundered enough to, to throw me over the top and do a bit of damage. Mm. You think you landed on one knee? 
yeah, I landed flush on my right knee and, and I ended up um, fracturing my patella into three pieces. So um, that was quite painful. But I was lucky enough that, that when they did, did fracture, they didn't displace. So I didn't need an operation on them. It was um, it was just a long, slow process of uh, six weeks in a leg brace, keeping the knee straight. And then uh, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty tough physio sort of routine after that to, to get the, the ligaments, tendons and muscles working in, in the legs and the knees. So, um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it wasn't pleasant. No, no, and a fractured sternum to boot. Yeah, the, the horse following, unfortunately, couldn't avoid me and uh, and put a, put a foot on my chest as, a, as I hit the ground and uh, fractured my sternum. So mm. that was just to make things even more uncomfortable. Mm. The pain was pretty intense for the first few weeks, you tell me. Yeah, it was. Um, the, the first probably night or two that the swelling in the knee and the leg was uh, pretty pretty bad. Um, mm. Once that settled down, it, it didn't. It didn't really give me a lot of discomfort, the knee. It was more just a, a, a long, slow process, and it wasn't really uncomfortable until the physio started. But the sternum, probably mm. for a good three or four weeks, with, um, mm. it, it, it's a very, very uncomfortable injury to have, any coughing, sneezing, even oh. uh, the breasts had hurt. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's not, not the nicest injury to have. Well, thankfully, you're very comfortable riding in a race, but there are a few things you're not uh, back to your best with. Running is one of them. Yeah, that's been a little bit difficult getting the weight back this time. I've never been one to have sort of weight issues sort of through my career, but sort of the last couple of years it has crept up a bit. And but I'm a sort of person who loves training, loves running, and things like that outside of work. So um, yeah. I've been able to manage it. But this time, since I've come back from the injury, I've been able to do the exercises the physios gave me, but I haven't been able to run. I haven't been able to train. Because yeah. um, every time I've done it, it seems to flare the knee up a bit. But as you say, luckily enough, it, it doesn't affect me riding. It, it doesn't seem to hurt at all riding. It's just um, mm. when I'm trying to do the outside stuff. But mm. So that's just been a little bit of an issue with the the, the weight. But yeah. um, it, it's slowly getting there now. Before we take a trip down memory lane with Andrew Gibbons, let's acknowledge young Dylan's brilliant start as an apprentice. Now, you tell me he wanted to be a jockey from the outset but you did your best to discourage him. Yeah, that's right. He's um, he's just been one of them kids that didn't matter what sort of toy or, or I gave him as a youngster, he, he'd somehow turned into a horse race and um, he's just had a one-track mind from a very young age. But, um, yeah, mm. once he was sort of old enough to do sports and that, I, I tried to get him into as many different things as I could just to let him know those other things out there in the world. I, um, it's a very hard game to, to be successful at and I uh, just wanted to make sure he um, – he really had the opportunity to explore other options, not just um, head straight into racing. I, I'm mm. sure there's, there's a lot of um, fathers are the same with their kids. They, as much as they're happy for their kids to be involved in racing, they understand that it's very hard and, and would mm. rather them go on a different path. But, um, mm. yeah, so I, I tried steering him away, but um, there was no stopping him. He was always going to do it. Mm. Well, he was very lucky to gain a start with Chris Lees, who has a huge team of horses in work. So you knew he'd get a good grounding, and uh, he rode in a huge number of barrier trials. You held him back. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, well, he, he was probably, by the time he got to barrier trial day, he, he was probably ready for that three months earlier, but we purposely made sure he was over ready for that. And we've pretty much done that with everything he's done through his career. By the time he got to race day, he, he, there's no reason he would, wouldn't have been able to do that earlier. But um, the same thing, we just wanted him over ready. We didn't want... Um, you know, making mistakes early and uh, you're easily labelled in this game. If, if you do something wrong early, you're quickly labelled as, as not being good and it's hard to sort of drop that label. So we wanted to make sure he was over ready. I do think 
some apprentices start too soon. They they start their trials too soon. They start their race too soon, and some of them come through the other side and eventually get to where they should be. But it takes a lot longer. Where's why mm. we thought we're dealing? We take the approach of um, making sure he was over ready, and it's paying dividends now. Mm. He got away to a hell of a start, didn't he? He finished with eighty six winners in his first full season. Those figures are extraordinary. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, I take absolutely no credit at all for that. A lot of people sort of saying to me how good a job I've done with him, but um, I've helped him as much as I can. But that's 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 all on him. He's he's been so dedicated to this. He's um he's done his he studies every rider. He, he studies form grade. He he worked hard at track work controls before he got the races. Yeah. Never once complained that that we were holding him back. He, as much as he wanted to get to the races, he never complained about it. He understood that. You know, we had, we had the big picture in mind for him, and um, yeah, so that's that's all on him. That and uh, Andrew is obviously happy to listen. If you've got any advice to offer or any points to raise, he listen to what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's um something I jumped into him from <clears throat> from an early age. He um I was told him that you know I've been riding nearly thirty years now, and still days when I'll come in and. Obviously, before RT had retired, some days if I thought I might have made a mistake, I'd say, RT, what do you think here? Do you think I might have, should have done this? You're never, you're never too good in this industry to be to be keep learning. And um, so I've told him that um, doesn't matter how well he's going, he should be asking questions. He should be listening to the senior riders, the better riders, and um, mm. keep learning. And and that's that's never been an issue for him because he loves talking to the other guys about rides. And True. and there's even days there where. He's not silly. He knows that there's plenty of guys there that can give him advice. He doesn't just come to me. He goes to plenty of other people and yeah. gives different opinions and sorts them all out, and he's working out which ones to listen to. He's only a third of the way through his second season, and he already has 41 winners on the board. He came of age on Hunter Day at Newcastle when he had four rides against some of the best jockeys in Australia. He won a Group 3 the spring stakes on Festival Dancer for Matthew Smith. That's quite an achievement for a 20-year-old. Yeah, that's unreal. That's He'd only ever rode one Metro day before that, and that was the Newcastle Cup day because the Sydney boys weren't allowed to come that day. But um, So this mm. was really his first city metropolitan day with all the boys there. So it could have been pretty daunting for a kid of his experience, but um, mm. handled the day so well. Um, full credit to him there. He... Um, not, he, everything he rode on the day, he gave good rides, and hmm. to come out with a group group three winner was, um, yeah, something he'll never forget. And I'm sure I won't ever. Hmm. He's claiming two kilos on the provincial circuit, and obviously three in town. And uh, the same thing has happened to Reese Jones, who was showing enormous promise at the same time Dylan was uh, starting to get a go on. Uh, Reese has been very carefully handled as well. Yeah, he's a good young kid, Reese too. He's um he rides very well and, and he's getting good success. And um yeah, obviously he, he's with a very good boss too in Rod Northam who's who's been around the tracks before and he understands how it all works and he's handling Reese very well. Um but yeah, no, they're, they're two very good boys coming through. Now to say you were a sports mad kid is an understatement. Your earliest sporting talent was on the soccer field. You loved it, you were pretty good at it. But your size kept coming against you. Yeah, that's right. So, like Dylan's one-track mind with racing at the younger age, I had the same thing with, with soccer. Um, that's all I ever wanted to do. I was a massive Craig Johnson fan, the Newcastle boy who played for Liverpool, and success. He was my idol as a kid, and um, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. But as you say, uh, 
probably getting to 13, 14, I was, I was playing rep teams, but then I started to get left out of some of the, the selection ones because of my size and mm. even openly some coaches told me I was good enough, but I wasn't big enough and obviously mm. times have changed now. That sort of thing doesn't come into play as much anymore with people, but no. back then it did and I sort of got a bit discouraged with, with that. Um, so that sort of took me away from the path of soccer, but yeah, that's I'm still, still I still got a love for the for that game. I mm. I watch it all the time, but uh, unfortunately, I didn't get to follow that path. Now to the most fascinating part of your life story: you had a schoolmate whose dad was a pro boxer. His name was Neville Short. Now one day you went to the gym with your mate and his dad, and something must have happened to you because you loved the atmosphere. You love the smell of the liniment. You love the sound of a gloved fist connecting with a heavy punching bag. Typical impressionable kid. You couldn't get home quickly enough to tell your mum, Kathy, and your dad, John, that you wanted to be a boxer. I can imagine their reaction. Yeah, it wasn't a great one. <laughs> they um, obviously knew I was, yeah, I was going with Neville to um, do a bit of training there and, uh, yeah, as, as you say, I just just loved it straight away. Just such good people were were in that game. Um, I said I had friends there. I've seen through through Neville Junior, and uh, his father. He was just a, he was just an ultimate gentleman, Neville Senior. He um he treated every kid that came through that gym like his own. And um, yeah, it was just a it was a great environment. And his his old goal was mm. getting kids into boxing was to to keep them off the streets, to keep them on the straight and narrow, and and give them something to dedicate themselves to and um yeah I just fell straight into that and mm. and absolutely loved it and and then I had a bit of natural ability to go with it to start with which was always handy and um yeah I, I told mum and dad that um I wanted to explore it a bit more and um yeah they both 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 weren't real keen on the idea and uh <laughs> sort of a week or two later they changed their tune which uh, I find out later on down the track that um dad had suggested to mum that uh He'll get punched in the face one day, and uh, he'll, he'll decide he doesn't want to do it anymore. So they thought it, they thought it, they thought it only lasted a couple of weeks, and I changed my mind. But um, yeah, I said I had a good coach, and um, he, he helped me through those early stages. And, and that that hard punch in the face never came early on. So I was well well on my way into the game before I, I started getting hit hard. Well, you were in the forty-one kilo division. You had twenty-one fights for seventeen wins. You won an Australian title and you won two state titles, so you could obviously hold your hands up. Yeah, yeah, I had a bit of success. Um, funny enough, when I first started, my, my first state title was actually 28 and a half kilos, mm. sub-junior. I think I was only 12 or 13 at the time, and, yeah. and yeah, they said I, then I progressed up to the 41s by the time I was, I was 14, 15, I mean, probably 15 I was when I won the second state title and won the Australian title. So, yeah, mm. I am. Um, yeah, I had a pretty good career. It wasn't a long one, but, um, yeah, I had a bit of success and, um, yeah, mm. quite, quite enjoyed it. Well, why did it stop? What brought it to an end? Well, the, the time I won the state, the Australian title was late 93. Um, that was at my year 10 year at school, and, and when I finished school that year, I, I didn't want to go back, and I was – Dad said to me, well, if you're not going back to school, you, you need to be doing something, and um, I said, well, I'd give the, the horse racing caper a go, and um, – mm. If that didn't work, I'd go back to school. So I, I started 
learning to ride sort of during that Christmas time and early yeah. New Year and, and got the job in the stables early that next year and, and I honestly just ran out of time to do it. Yeah. It's something I would love to have been able to pursue as well, but um, mm. it came to a stage where doing something I enjoyed was something I was going to do as a career. Um, mm. I had to take make a choice and, and, and chose the career of racing. Mm. You taught yourself to ride, didn't you, on a borrowed pony? Yeah, Dad borrowed a pony off a friend and, and we put it out at, at – uh, uh, a gentleman that Dad knew pretty well called Doug Williams who put out his property where he lived five minutes from us and I used to just go out every afternoon and, and ride that and then uh, there's an area near us called Black Hill had a few riding schools I went and got a few lessons there but um, but yeah. mainly was self-taught mm. Well you had a lucky break when an indentureship came up with Noel Mayfield Smith who started his training career in Newcastle now this must have been around the time he had the wonderful filly angst andrew i'm guessing uh was she there when you were there she passed away not long before i got there unfortunately so i never got to see her in the flesh but um that was around the time when i was starting to get interested in watching racing i knew how good she was but um, unfortunately yeah she she passed away not long before that she was a ripper of a horse oh um, great filly she only had 10 starts she won seven and she won four straight in the spring of 1993 the princess series yeah, she was the first one to do that. I think there's only been one since, Samantha Miss. Ah, mm. oh, so, uh, yeah, no, she, she was a very good horse and she was good for Noel, obviously, getting going at Newcastle there and um, he had a very strong stable that time when I, when I started off with him. Mm. You had another stroke of luck when Noel's stable foreman, former Golden Slipper winning jockey Laurie Billet, took a keen interest in your progress. Laurie is a, one of the... Most nicest bikes I've ever come across in racing. He, he, I'll never forget the first day they put me on one at um, at the track at Newcastle down near the, the 400 metre mark where all the stables are, a little trotting track around there, and they put me on one to trot around. And mm. and they, it was probably a quiet one, but for me being so inexperienced, it wasn't so quiet. And he cleared off on me around this little trotting track, and I reckon I'd done about 20 laps around this little trotting track. <laughs> Just about had him slow down to a trot, and Laurie jumped out in front of him to stop him for me. <laughs> Did he? Did That's he? the kind of guy he was, Laurie. He wanted to yeah. help everyone and um, and his experience was, uh, yeah, I just couldn't find anyone else no. that had that experience at the time. That, that, he's such a big help. He still even calls me to this day, Laurie, every now and mm. then he'll give me a call just to see how things are going. And, oh, lovely. Um, checks in on me and he's, he's an absolute gentleman of a guy. And, yeah, no, yeah. I can't thank Laurie enough for his help early on. He, he's, um, he was a massive help to me. But, yeah, as I say, him jumping out in front of that horse that day proved to me what sort of a guy he was. He just yeah. wanted to help me. I'm a very talented and a much-in-demand lightweight jockey uh, in his heyday. He formed an association with a brilliant filly in the early 1960s called Riesling or Risling. She finished up winning the Golden Slipper. She's one of the fastest two-year-old fillies I've ever seen, Andrew. She, I'm not joking, she left the gates in the slipper and was four or five lengths in front of the end of 50 metres. She could fly. Yeah, Laurie's told us quite a few stories, actually, of not only her and other stuff, which we probably won't get into some of these other stories. They're quite funny. But, um, mm. yeah, he loved coming slipper time. Every year around slipper time, we'd ask him about it. And he'd, he'd love telling us about her career and, and leading up to the slipper and how brilliant she was. Um, mm. And, obviously, that was before my time. But, um, yeah, you can tell, obviously, from yourself and other people I've spoken to about how mm. impressive she was. Your first winner came up in December 1994 when Ken Delforce put you on a horse called Andy Handout 
in a 900-metre maiden at Newcastle and you didn't wait for them, you won by four lengths. Yeah, yeah. Not only Ken Delfos, I've got to thank for that, was Johnny Deemer who was um, doing his training at the time with uh, with Kenny and um, Johnny, he was a... He was a very big help to me back then. He um, obviously had his son, Jason, was was in Sydney at the time riding, probably getting towards the end of his career then, Jason, with his weight issues. But Johnny was was working with Kenny, and, um, yeah, they were, they were really good to me early. But, yeah, as you say, my first winner, I think it was my sixth ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, little Andy Handout, he was just a jumping runner, and, and Kenny had a lot of those Royal Handout horses were jump-and-run horses and uh, really suited to apprentices with claims. And, um, mm. yeah, I'll never, never forget that day. He just pinged and led and I was just a passenger. In the mid-1990s, Noel Mayfield-Smith pulled up stakes and moved his operation to Hawkesbury, where he would go on to enjoy his best days as a trainer. Now, you got an offer to join Brian Guy at Rose Hill, who was establishing himself as a trainer following the passing of his dad, Ray. You moved to Sydney and you spent two years there. Yeah, they were great times with, with Brian. He's just say he, he, he didn't have the, the biggest stable. He probably always had 45, 50 in work, but he, he, he had a real quality stable um, and he always sent himself up in the top five, six trainers in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good progression for me to go from Noel. He was a fantastic help for me. Noel getting started obviously wouldn't have – at the beginning I had without Noel and um mm-hmm. but then to move to Brian to get that exposure to the Sydney riders was um was, was fantastic and um he, he was a big help to me Brian and also his uncle Max um mm-hmm. unbelievable horseman and probably one of the, the best horsemen I've come across some of the stuff he'd you'd see him doing at the stables where they're feeding and treatments and things was um mm-hmm. yeah it was he was extremely good man to learn from. Yeah he was worth Ten good horses uh, to Brian and to Ray previously. They say he was as good as a veterinary surgeon. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He used to take their own the, the, the bloods and do the blood counts before every horse race. And yeah, I said, yeah, you'd be. I'd be very surprised if I could find someone else that um, that had a Max guy in their stable. He, and, mm. and I'm sure Brian would admit too, he was invaluable to his stable. Mm. Of all the handy ones you rode for Brian. Your favourite was a horse called Ripper, R-I-P-P-E-R, not to be confused with the brilliant uh, Melbourne mare, uh, spelled R-I-P-A, who was a Group 1 mare. You rode the Sydney Ripper quite a number of times. You won a mile flying welter at Randwick one day, and again, you didn't wait for him, six and a half lengths. Yeah, he was an old marvel, old Ripper, yeah. He used to always aim up every prep and, and, and win races. He was um, just one of them gentleman horses, and, and he, had, he had a couple of really nice guys owned him. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he was just one of one of many Brian's horses like that. It, he had so many reliable, good old horses that were, were good for apprentices. But um, mm. he always had a soft spot for Ripper. He was a, he was a, he was a pretty nice horse. As soon as your time was up, you headed home to the Hunter Valley, and you said about building up a clientele at Newcastle. Max Lees put his hand up. He gave you a good hand. Yeah, as you say, I just the Sydney lifestyle wasn't for me as much as I probably could have stuck it out a bit longer. I just wanted to get home and this is where I'm more comfortable. And so I got yeah, back to Newcastle, I think it was just before 2000, maybe the end of 99, early mm. 2000, I come back and, um, yeah, and just said about riding freelance. Max gave me opportunities, but um, I, I, I rode pretty much 
freelance there and there wasn't any I wasn't tied down to anyone but um yeah Max did give me a few opportunities which um give me that uh link with Chris I'd say because Chris sort of started training a few on his own before Max passed away and mm. then I wrote a little bit to Chris there so that's the connection started there. Mm. Well you've had a long and strong association with Chris Lees you've ridden a huge number of winners for the stable in recent years. Yeah yeah I think it's over f- 400 for Chris I've ridden just mm. for him. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure it was the, the Philly Redouts image I won on at Canterbury, I think it was last season or season before, was my mm. 400th winner for him. So we're probably up around the 450 mark now, close to. Mm. Mm. So that's um, hard to do for the one trainer. But um, as you say, we've, we've had a long, good association. It, um, yeah, it's been very good for my career. The life of a committed provincial and bush jockey can be a very rewarding one if he or she is prepared to travel. You've been up and down the coast and across the Great Dividing Range a million times, on request. That's what the out-of-town jockey has got to do. Yeah, that's right. I, I sometimes think my car just knows how to get to race courses on its own. It, um, <laughs> it spends that, that many times just heading to to so many different tracks. That, um, but as you say, that's that's what you got to do if, if if you if you want to want to be lazy and just sort of ride here and there. You you're not going to you know someone else is going to pick up that ride that you could have had somewhere else, and mm. and that trainer then puts them on other ones. You've got to you've got to be willing to to keep working hard and, and travelling and. Uh, and it's probably the hardest part. It's, the travelling's harder than the early mornings, I find, and the long days of the races is the, the to and from the races um, in the car. But um, as you say, once you you get your mind into it and realise that, you know, there's no use sucking about it, that's just the way you've got to do it, um, it mm. makes life a lot easier. Perhaps your favourite northern track is Grafton, where you've had some of your best days. The best of all, of course, was the Ramoni in 2011 when you combined with Peter Snowden uh, to win that great race on Gerizana in the Dali colours. She came from well back that day, Andrew. Yeah, she was um, she was a quirky mare, but she was very, very talented. Um, the start before, I think it was in the eyeliner rips, which I think she held the start up for about five minutes for, with her antics in the barriers. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, she wasn't the easiest horse to, to handle, but... Um, Oh, lucky I got her on a quarter on the, on the right day at DeGrasse and that day she shoot her manners were fantastic and her turn of foot was unbelievable. Like mm-hmm. it was a slow run race and, and to come back from, from where she was back second last and, and not just win but blow them away hands and heels was um mm-hmm. pretty impressive. She she said she was full of talent, she was quirky, but she was full of talent and mm-hmm. since retiring she she's thrown a few handy ones too. Mm-hmm. Michael Costa came looking for you in twenty twenty when he brought a horse called Roos, R E U S. Uh, to Grafton for the Guineas. Now, you brought him with a well-timed run to win that Guineas at your one and only ride on the horse. Have you ridden for Michael Costa since? I have. I, I think I've only had uh, two or three rides since. I, I rode, That was my very first ride for Michael. Obviously, I met Michael when he was a yeah, young steward in Sydney, but um, that was my very first ride for him um, when I won the Grafton Guineas. And then uh, probably maybe... Six months later, he often he gave me a ride in the um, I think it was the Christmas Cup at Renwick on a horse. I can't remember his name right now, but it actually, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was the same horse that might have won the Grafton Cup last year. Um, oh yeah, yeah. His name, his name escapes me, but that was my second ride for Michael, and it ran third in a listed race at Renwick. And then I've had a couple of rides for him not long ago at uh, at Coffs Harbour, but I haven't had many rides for him. But he's a, 
extremely good trainer, Michael, and he seems to place his horses very well, and he's a pretty good judge of them. Another nice win for you in the Jacaranda City was a South Grafton Cup on D Regua for the late Freddie Cowell, a Gosford trainer. Fred would have been over the moon. Yeah, Fred loved getting up the Grafton Carnivals and, and he always tried to target them, them good races. So to win a South Grafton Cup for so Freddie was, was was very, very good. Um, as you say, that's um, it's been a good carnival for me, that a South Grafton Cup, a, a Guineas, a Ramorty. Haven't been able to tick off the cup, unfortunately, but um, that was that was the first of my feature wins at Grafton was the, the South Grafton Cup. And, uh, yeah, that was a pleasant day and uh, and I love getting back there each year and I'm going to keep going back and, and try and tick off those ones I haven't got. It's a monster carnival, isn't it, Grafton? And the atmosphere is, uh, you know, akin to a Melbourne Cup without any exaggeration. Oh, absolutely. I I, I tell people it's my favourite country cup carnival to ride at. Um, It just seems to be where the the grandstand is situated there and the winning post is very, very close. It's it's an unbelievable roar um, Mm. when you get inside that last furlong and always packed. Michael Beattie does a fantastic job running that club and mm. it's um, always well-promoted carnival and, and obviously the, the people could argue where where the better carnivals are. You're always, obviously, here Wagga's fantastic. And I've never been fortunate enough to make it to a Wagga mm. carnival, um, but in my books, uh, Grafton's head and shoulders. Mm. Hey, Gibbo, we're going to pause for a break on the podcast. In going to the break, the horse whose name you were trying to recall uh, that you rode at Randwick one day. Was that perfect deal, this year's Grafton Cup winner? That's the one, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the one, yep. Perfect deal, yep. Trained by Michael Costa. Yes. Okay, mate, stand by there. We'll be back uh, after this with Andrew Gibbons. Many Central Coast holiday makers look forward each year to the Gosford Race Club's post-Christmas race meeting. Wednesday, December the 29th, is the date to keep in mind for the running of the Group 3 Bell of the Turf for fillies and mares over 1,600 metres with a purse of $200,000. Co-feature race on the day will be the listed Gosford Guineas of 150000 for the three-year-olds over 1,200 metres. The Gosford precinct has been earmarked for a major development in the near future with an $8 million New South Wales government funding package to construct an additional 200 on-track stables. Currently, there are around 80 horses in regular training at Gosford. That number is expected to rise sharply when the new accommodation becomes available. But for now, there's a great race meeting to focus on. Wednesday, December the 29th, the Bell of the Turf and the Gosford Guineas. Racegoers love the amphitheatre effect of the Gosford track. There's no friendlier place to go racing during the Christmas holiday. My special guest is top jockey Andrew Gibbons. You know, when you live out of Sydney and you're honouring commitments at provincial and country meetings, you're not going to come across too many Group 1 horses. Now, Chris Lees has given you rides in Group 1s, and one of them was a mare called Hera, or Hera, in the 2015 Coolmore Classic. Now, you and Linda Meach on Plucky Bell went for the same run at the same time in the straight and you came off second best. You lost your momentum. You finished up fifth, half a length from the winner, which was Plucky Bell. Was that the one that got away, do you think? Yeah, as you say, me and Linda, we aimed up for the same run and 
and Hera, she was, uh, although she was all heart, she wasn't very big. And, and I never got fully chopped out of the run. It was just enough of a, a buffeting just to lose a little bit of momentum. Mm. I'm probably confident enough to say it wouldn't have changed the result, but um, to get within half a length of winning a group one was we, still a thrill in itself. And um, yeah. I remember Chris, Chris telling me afterwards that the furlong when we aimed up for that run, he, he got up out of his seat and he got excited because um, she looked like a big chance of winning the race. Um, mm. And uh, it was great to just get the opportunities in them races, but to, to actually come to the furlong in one of them and be alive, hope was a real thrill. And, oh, yeah. and I've probably had a, I've had a handful of Group 1 rides and um, that was definitely the first time or the only time I've been in a Group 1 race where, you know, mm. coming into the race where I genuinely thought I, I was a chance of winning it. And yeah. To be beaten officially 0.5 of the length and not even run top three, that was probably a bit disheartening, yeah. but that's the way yeah. the game goes. And uh, it was still a big thrill all in all, and especially for Australian bloodstock. They're um, mm. been massive supporters of mine, Luke Burrell and, and Jamie Lovett. They've um, always been comfortable enough to put me on in them races when the, when the situation arises. Obviously, that, that came about because she had a light weight. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it would have been fantastic to um, to get a big one for them, but it wasn't to be that day, but it was still a thrill all in all. The thing that might bring you a ride one day in an Epsom, Doncaster, Metropolitan is your ability to ride at 52 kilos or less with enough notice. Andrew, it is very hard to find a jockey of your experience who can ride at that weight. You rode a tension run a couple of years ago in a Metropolitan at 50k. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's... um. It's been tough to get down to that weight. Early in my career, I would have done that easy, but as I got older, it's, the weight's crept up a bit. It's not as not as easy now. But um, as you say, with the notice, obviously I'd probably need you know week week and a half notice to get down to that weight. But um, they were tough to do it. But you don't you don't mind putting yourself through that um, for a Group One and, and for horses that you've had an association with and you know do have the ability. Mm. Um, I think it was the year before I rode attention run. I rode. Um, Another one for Chris Lee's in the Sydney Cup, which ran fifth, mm. um, fifth or sixth there. Then old horse, um, his name escapes me. But um, you say there was a couple of years in a row there where where I did ride those 51s, 52s, and, yeah. and even 50s. Um, but yeah, for, for Group One races, it's um, it's not, not not too hard to put yourself out for that. Yeah. Now this time around, are you going to manage 52 or 53? Um. Obviously, there's nothing coming up anyway for me, and and mm. with this injury coming back, my weight's been a little bit harder to manage, and it's gradually mm. getting back down there. If an opportunity came up um, for a 52 in in a good race with mm. a couple of weeks' notice, I'd I'd, I'd make sure I'd, I'd make it happen. Mm. Below the 52, it would I wouldn't be able to do now, but no, um, no. I'm I'm hoping you know within the six months' time I can have it back to where it was, and and if an opportunity like that came about, well then I'd definitely jump at it. You haven't had the opportunity to ride an elite horse in a race, but by crikey, you've ridden some tidy ones in track work and in barrier trials, and you had a bit to do with three high-profile horses from the Paul Perry stable. Yeah, yeah, I had a little bit to do with um, Schwarzier. Actually, probably mainly out of his good three, I probably have had more had to do with Schwarzier as a as a three-year-old mainly, or two and three-year-old, I, I rode him quite a lot of his work and, and his barrier trials, and um, he was a he was a machine. He was, and um, and then sort of going forward from there, I had a bit to do with Fastnet Rock just in his work and trials, and, Fastnet and also Rock. Stratum. Mm. Yeah, he was he was a ripper too. Fastnet Rock totally. You wouldn't find two horses with different builds 
like Schwarzier and Stratum. Oh, yeah. sorry, Schwarzier and Fastnet Rock, but they were both unbelievable sprinters. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, their body shape, they, they couldn't have been further apart, but both mm. were very, very good sprinters. And Stratum won a golden slipper too. Yeah, probably didn't have as much to do with him as the other two, but I did have a few sits on him and, and rode him in a trial, and um, mm. he, he was a very good horse and, and very well placed and prepared for that golden slipper. Yeah. I think I know the answer to this question. Name the one jockey who has most inspired Andrew Gibbons throughout his career. Yeah, that's an easy one. Robert Thompson, by mm. far. Mm. Yeah, not just as a jockey, as a person. He's uh, an amazing human being. Um, I don't think I've ever come across anyone who's got a bad word to say about Robert. Um, but, yeah, just as a jockey, he, he's he's the one person I put down to where I've got as a rider just by – Talking to him, observing him, um, trying to learn what he he does good in a race and what's made him so good. Um, and I've often said that the, the little things that I picked up from him, uh, his ability to to stay out of trouble in a race, stay balanced. There can be some of them them country tracks we ride at that, that the horses aren't as good, and and you can find a bit more trouble in them races, and the tracks aren't as good. And he just had an unbelievable ability at. at when there's trouble in a race, at avoiding it without mm. losing a position, without losing momentum, and that's just one thing I, yeah. I worked hard at to try and, and get into my game. And and although I'll, I'll never ever get to the the level Robert got, um, of being able to do that, I've, I've found my, I've got myself at a pretty high level of doing it mm. um, to to keep horses out of trouble and balanced. And um, yeah, and I. I can't thank Robert enough for his advice. I sat beside him a lot of times in jockey's rooms and wherever. As I said earlier, if, if, if something I wasn't sure about a decision I made, Robert's more than happy to sit there and have a look at it with me and say, no, no, I've yeah. done the same thing or, yeah, possibly you could have done this. And yeah. you, you can't stop learning in this game and, and I don't think you, you can't buy the knowledge Robert Thompson's mm. got. The, the, the amount of time he's had in the game and the success he's had, he's, um, mm. he's a very, very knowledgeable man. He announced his retirement only last week but he hadn't had a ride for maybe three months. So the riding was on the wall. He just took his time in making the final announcement. I think he wanted to go to the Cairns Cup meeting. That's why he was hanging on. Yeah, he loves getting up to Cairns Cup meetings and and getting up there. He's got some good friends up there and he's always had success and had fun there. And he can do a bit of fishing while he's up there. He loves getting up there. But um, I think he was hanging off for that, as you say. Um, I know he would have liked to have done one more there, but it wasn't to be. And um, mm. and as you say, he, he did announce it last week, but um, I don't even think that's something he wanted to do, knowing Robert. Mm. He's the kind of guy who would have wanted to just uh, slide away and not make a big song and dance about it. But uh, I'm assuming he's only uh, announced mm. it because uh, everyone was probably annoying him about what's going on with it because mm. they hadn't seen him at the races. But, um, yeah, sad day to see him go and, and we'll miss him in the room. But um, he's... Uh, He's earned the right to to retire now and enjoy a good life with Jen. 4,447 winners, I think, from memory. Staggering. It's crazy. Crazy. I'm only 3,000 to go to catch up to him. (laughs) That'll never happen. (laughs) No, it's an unbelievable number. Probably, I think Greg Ryan's the closest to him. And yeah, that's just just unbelievable career to to get to that number. Um, Mm. And can only imagine what number he would have been at if, if. when he started, if, if there was a amount of meetings we are, no. we, we've got now. Um, no. It's obviously the first half of his career that there was nowhere near the meetings that we have now. So um, mm. to get to that number um, in his era, it was uh, unbelievable. 
Now, the recent fall uh, that you suffered at Newcastle in July was your first actual race fall in eight years. The previous had been on Scone Cup Day in 2013 when you broke a few ribs. But what about that freakish incident at Cessnock in 2017? You're riding a mare called Rubel who had the race shot to bits when she caught sight of a patch of discoloured grass. Now, at first, she looked like jumping it, but then she changed her mind, didn't she? She suddenly veered in and your foot struck a a protrusion in the fence where two panels of railing hadn't joined up properly. Bizarre. Yeah, that was a strange one, that, and... Unluckily for me, it was, it was my first ride back from holidays. I'd been away for two weeks to give myself a spell and come back, and I thought I was going to get a win on my first ride back. And um, mm. yeah, it's just one of them crazy, unfortunate things that can happen in a race. Um, when when my foot's hit the rail, I, I broke the toe next to my big toe in the middle toe, and the the one next to the big toe, the bone come through the skin. So um, compound, made a, yeah. made a made a yeah, compound fracture and made a good mess mm. of the toe, which I had to get. Um, screwed back together, which put me out of action for six weeks. So mm. I was one ride back after two weeks off and I was out for another six. So <laughs> as you say, as you say, for me to go eight years without an actual race fall, um, Amazing. Uh, I know how lucky I am there. That's, um, mm. I've been, I've been very fortunate there that um, I had such a good run um, with injuries and falls and, mm. and hopefully that luck continues for me. Um, Cause you never know when, uh, something like that can be around the corner for you. But, um, mm. yeah, no, no, I've been extremely lucky my whole career, actually, con- mm. considering the amount of rides I've had, um, the, the, the few amount of falls I've had is, um, is pretty good. And it's a, a tribute to uh, the care and caution that you take and your responsible attitude. Hey, Andrew, I'll tell you one lovely little cup win you had, and I know you enjoyed it because I was standing right beside you at the presentation. You won the... Tun Curry Foster Cup on a little mare called Lady Evelyn. You'd already won a race at Rose Hill on her previously and uh, it was a good day, great meeting, and uh, that club is to be commended on the magnificent job they've done. I mean, they turned, they created that track out of a swamp, really. Yeah, it... Um it's good disappointing actually that I don't get more meetings because as you say it's it's for the mid north mid north coast tracks it's probably the best shaped track it, it, it's big and spacious um, mm. it's a fair track um, and as you say that day that I won the cup on Lady Evelyn was was fantastic I just got beat on it the year before I got run down the last stride so um, mm. I was looking to make amends and it was she's a she was a she was a ripper her she was just so honest and such an easy horse to ride and. Jason Deemer placed her so well, and I had a bit of success with her. I, I won a race on her at Tari. I think I won a Port Cup Prelude on her. I, I won that race, your race, you said, and, and won that Tunkari Cup. Um, and then I, I backed it up actually the next year and won the Tunkari Cup again for uh, Craig Martin and Tavion Prince. It's been a good race for me, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully I can get the third one soon. Since resuming recently, you've been trying something a little different. Rather than concentrating entirely on Newcastle track work, you've been getting to Wyong uh, early mornings and you intend to start uh, producing your services at Gosford to assist trainers who've been good to you in recent years. Yeah, that's right. I just thought with Dylan coming through, it was, it was time for me to sort of 
experience, sort of get out of my comfort zone and, um, you know, not be so reliant on Chris and uh, try and get back to them contacts I had before, which um, were hard to sort of to keep with when I was so tied down there. Um, but uh, as, yeah, as, as I say, as good as Chris has been to me, I'll, I'll continue to ride for him. I'm even looking to um, expand out and, and probably won't be riding as much for him. Um, as I said, it was just a perfect time coming through with Dylan coming through there and, mm. and, um, and it was good for me too to get out of my comfort zone and and, and test test the waters and make and you know um, prove to myself that I can still do it with, without being reliant on one big stable and and there's yeah. so many so many of them stables around the central coast that are that are, that are nowhere near the size of Chris but extremely good trainers um, and I'm yeah just trying to link up with them and Kim Moore obviously me and Kim go back a long time to when I was at Brian guys at Rose Hill. Um, mm. We've always had great success together, and, and Kim's also a great friend of mine off the track. When um, uh, we've been great friends for a long time, and <clears throat> looking to link back up with her. And as you say, I'll, I'll try and duck down the gossip when I can, and um, just see if we can open some more doors. Mm-hmm. And Kim has developed into a very serious horse trainer. She's always been very good, um, but yeah, she 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 just keeps her taking her team to a new level, and she's always had success. Um, you could probably go back through her stats, and you you struggle to find a year where where she's dipped low. She's always been very consistent, mm. places her horse very well. And as I said, I've, I've been lucky enough to have a, had a long association with Kim, obviously on and off, because there's been times where I just haven't been able to ride for her, and mm. and she's had to use other riders. But um, yeah, I'm looking to to link up with her more now. You and Dylan have been in many races together, and uh, I imagine early days you would have been very conscious of his safety. Uh, in races, you'd be wondering where he was and how he was travelling, and was he in trouble or not? But now, of course, he's gained so much experience. Uh, you'd be concentrating on your own job. Yeah, it's probably it was something that, that I, I had myself convinced that I, I wouldn't worry about when when he started riding. But it, it was something that I was trying to take notice of. I was doing my job, but as well as keeping half an eye on him. But um. Mm. It, and those first few times when I'd done it, I went, well, geez, this is a bit harder than I thought. But that that evaporated pretty quickly when I, when he showed how how capable he was. He mm. he really got to a level where I didn't have to worry very, very quickly. And, yeah, within, within a month of him race riding, it's just it's irrelevant now, really. He's just another another rider out there on the track who's competing. And mm. I don't expect any favours from me. I don't expect any favours from him, and he doesn't expect any from me when we both treat each other. As the same competitors, and um, yeah, as far as safety goes, I, uh, I'm I'm well aware that he knows what he's doing, and I don't have to stress mm. about that. How will he manage his weight going forward? He's tall, isn't he? He's tall, but he's very lightly framed. Um, and on that hunter day, as you spoke about when he had those rides, um, he actually was on an emergency in the hunter, which had 52, and he obviously didn't know till morning of the race whether he was going to get a run, so he was just being mm. a little bit careful in case he got a run, and. He actually could have rode the weight without even sweating. He, he got himself down to 52 morning of, and unfortunately the horse didn't get a run in the race. But um, him to be able to get to 52 without um, sweating is, is a sign that um, at this stage the weight isn't going to be an issue. I don't think it's going to be an issue throughout his apprenticeship. Yeah, good news. Well, it's been a great journey, Andrew Gibbons. 1,300 career wins, many more to come, and your good looks are still intact which may not have been the case had you pursued a boxing career. Yeah, that's right. My name might have been in the same spot if I'd have kicked down that path. <laughs> all right, mate. Thanks for joining us on a Sunday. Appreciate your time. Congratulations on all you've done. 
And uh, I don't know, I've lost count of the number of times I've flicked Sky Channel on to watch you riding a winner all over the place. Thanks, John. Appreciate you talking to me. Thank you. Andrew Gibbons on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The catalogue for the 2022 English Classic Yearling Sale is now available. A total of 810 yearlings have been finalised for the sale, 600 in Book 1, 150 in the Highway Session, all to be offered at Riverside between February 6 and 8. 700 of the entries are Bob's eligible and there are Vobus, West Speed and QTIS yearlings also on offer. There's an enormous range of proven stallions represented, as well as first crop yearlings by exciting newcomers like Justify, The Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artist. The classic sale has seen unprecedented growth in recent years, with 10 individual Group 1 winners since 2018. Eight of those have been purchased for $100,000 or less, while 14 graduates have won a million dollars or more in the same period. The classic sale gets the English show on the road for 2022 on February 6, 7 and 8 at Riverside. And the catalogue is out now.